0: Introduce me, so I guess I will get started for myself. I kind of thought there would be four or five people rushing forward to uh, fight over who gets to do it. Let's uh, get this thing started. Oh, there we go. We good? Are we good? They're saying something. I'm sorry? Go ahead. I'm going to try this one more time just to see if it works. It doesn't. Okay. So when I say okay, you'll change it. Okay. But not that time. (laughs) (laughs) Reading from Matthew 28, uh, 19 to the end of the chapter. I'm sorry. Let's back up. 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There are some things in the Bible that are a little uh, difficult for us to understand. They may not be exactly clear. Uh, we've got uh, multiple uh, religions and denominations started over disagreements about various verses and theologies, free will versus predestination, what exactly is the Trinity. We've got all these things that confuse us that aren't that aren't clear. I mean, the words are clear, but it doesn't... Uh, It doesn't always make sense to us, or we certainly can't agree on it. I don't think this is one of those. I think this particular commandment is pretty clear. Uh, We are to go to the world, wherever that world happens to be, whether it's uh, in our family, our home, uh, city, state, country, world, uh, we are to do that. That is fairly clear, fairly direct. I doubt most people would dispute that, certainly most Christians. What isn't clear, what this doesn't say, is how we do it. It doesn't tell us how to go about doing this. It doesn't exactly say how to go into the world and share the gospel. And so we are left with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and and amongst ourselves uh, to come up with... uh, what we believe to be appropriate God-driven strategies for how we will in fact reach uh, the world. Uh, I want to share with you this morning one method, the method uh, I have chosen and indirectly you have chosen because you support uh, what we do, Uh, one method in which uh, we use to go into the world and share the gospel. Uh, as some of you know, I, don't, I can't glance around and see if maybe half of you were here at the time, uh, but in 20, uh, 2011, uh, we started what was known as the Chorty Baptist Project, uh, Baptist Development Project. Uh, I left in July of 2011 and uh, resigned from Williams Baptist College and following a ordination here in this church, uh, went pretty much full time. For at least a year and a half to two years, I was gone the vast majority of the time. I would come home for a week, maybe a couple of weeks, and uh, Susan uh, was was at home, and I spent most of my time uh, doing this particular project. Uh, The work uh, that we work in was uh, originally established by the International Mission Board, and it was a continuation of something that they began. And, uh, okay. Uh, the, the, the hallmark of this particular project, or the, or the focus, or distinctive uh, characteristics, not that no one else uses them, but are important to us, are listed here. You'll see there are three of them. One is, of course, using agriculture and evangelism, and, and putting these things two together in order to accomplish the commission, the mandate that I just read. Secondly, is a focus on training, a focus on education versus what some other groups do, which focuses more on a distribution or a building type of uh, of ministry, none of which are wrong, but simply a a different focus. So our focus is more on education and training. And then the last is actually utilizing, whenever possible, actually national people, the local people, to do it. And so early on, I spent time training them with the idea that ultimately, they would be the ones that would train. We began work with a group called the Chorti, and I'll just briefly go over this to remind those of you who were here, and to let you know of those of you who were not here in 2011. The Chorti were a, or are a indigenous group located in Honduras, uh, around the area of Copan, Copan Ruinas, uh, in the department of Copan. There is uh, an old Mayan ruins located there. That was actually ground zero back in, uh, what was the end of the year, the world supposed to be, 20, was it 2016, 2017? I can't remember. If you all remember that, it was like December 21, uh, uh, 2016, I think is when it was. The world was going to come to an end because of the Mayan calendar. Well, that, that was like ground zero. That's where I was. Uh, it didn't happen, uh, but that's, that's where that was supposed to be. Uh, This uh, group of people is located in Honduras. You can see on the map here with a circle around it, and so this is uh, uh, the area we started work in. Honduras is a very poor country, and it's been in the news lately because many of the people joining caravans, marching to the north uh, towards the United States to enter have been from Honduras or Guatemala, which is located next door. Okay. Uh, the people in this particular area live largely in the mountains. Uh, they have very small tracts of land in what originally was forest. And so they spend much of their time uh, initially clearing forest and uh, trying to carve out small plots of land where they can farm. Okay? From a distance, uh, everything looks great. It's, uh, it's, this is uh, the tropics, lots of rainfall, lots of sun, and from a distance, things look nice and green and fresh, and in some areas, they are. Uh, go ahead. Uh, many of the villages are located in areas you can hardly see until you come up on them because there's so many trees and brush, uh, and, again, from the greenery of everything that's growing there. However, if you start looking closer, you'll start to see that areas that have been cleared are quickly uh, decimated by soil erosion. And uh, what is left then are areas in which people have to farm uh, where after a year or so of having cleared the forest, there's not much left to farm on. This is a a typical uh, side of a mountain. Imagine farming on this. Imagine you've got about one or two acres. This is gonna feed your family this year. And this is what you're gonna farm on. There is no way any of us here in the United States would ever farm anything on this. We might, might try running cattle, but I mean, even that's steeper than where we live in Dalton. I don't think you're gonna even run cattle up there. We wouldn't do anything on this. And yet they are using this, or trying to use it to feed their families. Okay. Uh, what grows better than anything, of course, is rocks. And, and, the, and the joke oh, they tell, and we tell is where well, is that the gro- rocks are growing because every year they get bigger. Well, the rocks aren't really getting bigger, the soil is getting washed away. And so because of soil erosion in this country, and by the way, all over the world, in developing countries it's exactly the same, These uh, they're trying to farm and, earn a, uh, and provide food for their family on, on worse and worse plots of land. Okay. Uh, this is a crop of beans grown amongst the rocks. We wouldn't, again, even think of doing something like this, but they do. Here's a crop of corn. Couldn't help but notice as we drove down from Pocahontas and the lovely corn, the hybrid, it's all exactly the same thick. You can't even see between it. Uh, Great, great crops of corn growing around here. This is what they're dealing with. This is what's growing on the side of the mountain, which isn't a surprise because not, I mean, it can't do much better than that. One of the first technologies uh, that we implemented and one of the, the sort of the, the bedrock of what we do is to teach a method of farming on this hillside that attempts to improve their, their, their living. Now let's, not, let's make no mistake, they're never gonna produce anything near what we can produce down here in the in, in, in Walnut Ridge area with a with the, with the nice prime farmland. It's not gonna happen. But you're trying to improve what they have and have no choice of getting anything else. Again, don't don't ask the question, why don't they just move somewhere else? There is nowhere to move. Any land that's worth having has already been gotten by people who have a whole lot more money than these people do. So there is nowhere to go. There is no other land to purchase. This is what you have to to live on. And so we make an attempt using a technique to try and stop soil erosion and and improve the soil uh, where they live. This technique makes use of a simple meth uh, uh, device called an A-frame that establishes a contour around the side of a hill, around the side of a a, a mountain. All the tools we implement are generally hand tools, no power tools, no machinery of any sort. You couldn't even get a tractor of a combine up there uh, if you wanted to. Uh, even, Even small tillers will not work. And so everything is by hand, and so all the tools we use are simple, things they can make, and think they can use by hand. After establishing contour lines we plant two small rows of a leguminous plant uh, established around the contour line because they're planted on a contour this helps the, the flow of water washing away the topsoil. And then instead of having land that looks like this once these are established you have this. And so these plants grow and become a barrier to the erosion of the soil. And so between these uh, rows that you see up here, these alleys, you now can plant. Same thing you want. We're not trying to tell you what to plant. You can plant your beans, you can plant your corn. You can plant whatever you want. Between these hedgerows, which are permanent by the way, don't have to do it every year. It's a little work up front, but once you've done it, it's in place. Then you plant and therefore it looks like this. So here you see a hedgerow on the side of a hill with corn and beans planted between the hedgerows and because of the soil uh, erosion prevention they have a method of beginning to gradually improve uh, the soil that they have. They certainly don't lose any more. Most of them cannot afford fertilizers. However, by cutting the leaves of these plants because they're leguminous, leguminous plants generate nitrogen. Nitrogen is one of the... Prime fertilizers needed for corn production. These plants generate nitrogen. By cutting the leaves and by the plants themselves, you actually put nitrogen back into the soil. And so, by stopping soil erosion, by putting nitrogen back into the soil, you gradually, gradually, I don't want to make any grand claims here that overnight people are going to become wealthy of, uh, over this. Gradually, you begin slowly improving the quality of the soil you have and improve the production. Of your corn or beans whatever you're growing uh, for your family. We do some other projects as well and have done for years. This is a silo project. Uh, Y'all have all seen large silos around here in Jonesboro at Riceland where they store uh, all the rice. This is where they store corn. It's a silo that holds 20 sacks of corn and until they had it they had no way of storing corn other than leaving it in the field or putting it in the corner of their dirt floor house where rats and insects and moisture get to it and so this was a a project we did with the help of the BGR, BABLIS Global Response, to help uh, distribute these uh, amongst the farmers we also have helped with fertilizer distribution this is not a gift these were uh, no interest loans that they would take out uh, at the beginning we would offer the the uh, fertilizer up to four sacks, uh, fertilizer for a farmer and at the end of the growing season once they harvested they would pay us back in in cash or in in, in the corn that they produced. So uh, this was a way also to temporarily help them try to get ahead. We also involved ourselves in several different uh, animal uh, breeding projects to try to upgrade uh, some of the animals they had. This is actually a goat from Haiti uh, that we had. Uh, to cross with the native goats and produce better meat producing goats. Their goats are about this high and weigh about, I don't know, 18 pounds soaking wet. Uh, Some of them are a little better than that, I'm exaggerating, but nonetheless, uh, bringing in purebred goats, uh, crossing them gives you a goat that uh, will improve the production. We also set up small broiler projects. Now we live up in Dalton and so we know, we know chicken production as you do down here. Well, these are about uh, 50, 50 chickens, 50 broilers, uh, but it can make a big difference. 50 broilers fed out and sold, they can make uh, almost a 50% 50, 50 return on their money in a six week period, it goes very quickly. Uh, It's not that simple to do, takes some training and some uh, help and money management, but it's a project that we had a fair amount of success with. We've also worked to improve some health standards through trying to prove upon the standard way of cooking, which is over rocks, uh, which works fine outside if we want a campfire, but once you move inside during the rainy season, that creates a bit of a mess. And so these are simple stoves. I know they don't look like much to you. But this is a vast improvement, it's fairly simple, something they can construct more or less themselves, once you taught the the technology. It not only improves the efficiency of the wood burning, but gets the smoke out of the house, which creates all kinds of problems, health problems, eye problems, asthma problems, uh, for people. We've been in houses where the walls are just covered with black soot, Uh, and uh, uh, this helps uh, deal with that problem as well. Now, to this point, all I've talked about are agricultural projects which help people's way of life. These are good things. If that is all someone does, good uh, uh, projects that help alleviate pain, suffering, misery, improve someone's standard of living, there is nothing wrong with that. That is a good thing. The Bible tells us to do those things, to help the widows and orphans and to take care of other people. All of that is a good thing, nothing wrong with it. And we could stop there and we would have done a good thing. However, we don't stop there because as we know as Christians, this is only part of the issue. Once you've met someone's physical needs, they're still the spiritual side. And the nice thing about agricultural projects, uh, health care projects do this as well, is that they integrate very nicely into evangelistic efforts. Because on the one hand, uh, people, when presented with the agricultural projects to improve their way of life, see someone physically doing something to help them. You can say you love someone or God loves you all day long, and someone who is, this, has no concept of this, it's just words bouncing around. However, having done something for someone, teaching them a, a technology which can put food, more food, into the, into the mouths of their children, this means something. They can see something from this. And so it, it, it makes a difference. The second thing it does is it gets you in their homes. Uh, it's one thing to stroll up into a mountain village, knock on a door, and say, Hi, I'd like to come in and share the gospel with you. I've got a track here with the four spiritual laws, and I'd like to go over that with you. And, and you will get a blank look. Most of them won't even let you in the house, and they have no interest in hearing about it. However, if through the process of training and teaching people how to have more food to feed their families, you begin slowly integrating prayer and Bible stories that you integrate in, they are prone to listen. In short, because they have no choice, you have a captive audience of sort. And then far beyond that, which is why we use extension as one of our tools, you then go back into their homes. all right? Initially on a weekly basis. And what do you do when you're there? You talk about their hedgerows. You talk about how they're coming. Did they get the seeds planted? Were they able to get the the contour lines set okay? Are they having trouble with plants dying? You talk about all that. And then you say, I'd like to share a Bible story with you. I'd like to tell you something from the Bible. Most of these people are Catholics. And In this part of the the world, I can't speak for other parts of the world. Their knowledge of the Bible is almost non-existent. I don't don't know why the Catholic Church does not teach more, but they don't. These people, uh, 95% of them will say they're Catholic, and you ask them if they heard of Noah and the flood, they'll say no. I don't know what that is. And so you begin telling them, go ahead, You begin telling them Bible stories. This was actually a literature piece of literature that we used early on that used pictures because many of them couldn't read. Something like a comic book. And you begin by telling stories of Christianity, stories from the Old Testament, New Testament. And you use the opportunity of being there. We have never, I say I, my people who work with me, have never been told, leave, we don't want to hear this anymore, never. Uh, All of them are always interested. I will not say they all became Christians, because they didn't. But without a, without fail, all of them want to hear more and are, uh, open their homes to you. This has led to, to baptisms. Uh, we don't start churches per se. We certainly don't build them. Our idea is what we call communi- uh, to create community of believers and to support churches that already exist. There are uh, evangelical churches that exist in the area usually with very poor uh, teaching, very poor um, uh, knowledge of the Bible. And so we try to utilize what is already there and baptize uh, when necessary. We also work with pastors. Uh, Many pastors are self-supporting. They receive little or no funds for themselves. And so we use uh, our our trainings to train pastors so number one, they can help take care of their own families. And then number two, churches themselves can begin to utilize the same training to teach other people in their family or use it themselves as a uh, evangelistic tool. Uh, This is a picture of a a church uh, that, and actually a Baptist church, I included this one with a sign. There you go, temple. Evangelica Bautista. There we go. So that's actually a Baptist church. Uh, there are a few uh, around that, uh, that we work with. Okay. The present day uh, B, uh, project is called BRLM or Baptist Rural Life Ministries. We changed several years ago. And there's several things that are different from when I started. As you can see here, number one, we've extended, expanded projects beyond just the Chorti in Honduras. We have a couple of different areas in Honduras, we have a couple of different areas in Guatemala, we've worked some in Panama, and we've worked in Haiti. Secondly, we've moved from being largely a US-based ministry to actually a Central America-based ministry. Where we're moving this is from it being my project, which I employ people to do, to it's their project, it's their ministry, and we help support them. Which is indicated here, where it says BRLM now focuses more on support and funding unless less on planning and directing. And finally, your money supports local missionaries instead of US personnel. Uh, when I was traveling uh, uh, and, and being gone months at a time out of the country, my travel costs, living, uh, living expenses out of the country, these were all expenses the project was paying for. Since I do not do that as much anymore and we don't have those expenses, you are instead of helping fund me, which I appreciated greatly, we're actually funding almost directly with no other support or or no other outside expenses, uh, the project itself, okay? Our mission statement is uh, indicated here. BRLM, that is the Baptist Rural Life Ministries, works with indigenous organizations, churches, and associations to train members in the use of agriculture, healthcare, and Bible storing for the purpose of alleviating physical suffering and evangelizing planting churches in the communities and surrounding areas in which they live and serve, okay? This slide shows you where we are now. You can see that we're basically in four different areas. We're located in Honduras in two different areas uh, where we have uh, local people who are employed to work with us and to to run the project. We also coordinate with a project out of uh, uh, Panama with the Kuna Indians that are located there and also in uh, Guatemala with a group called the Kekchi. Uh, This person here on the right is Mauricio, and what I want to do is just quickly show you uh, basically the four people that work with us, because these are the people that you are directly supporting. I want to introduce you to them to show you briefly what each of them do, and so these are the people that the money that this church gives through its mission program, these are the people that you're supporting. So this is Mauricio, and he works largely out out of Honduras. Uh, Mauricio uh, works with our bee program and I'll just mention that I'm not sure when I was here before we had did anything with bees the bee project has become one of our most successful projects for a number of reasons it's fairly easy to start it requires no land bees fly up to three miles in each direction and so they just go steal stuff from everywhere else and so you don't have to worry about that and uh, Mauricio has uh, been one of the uh, leaders in getting that started Mauricio has also uh, done a lot with literacy. Uh, We worked in several of the villages uh, where we had projects, the agricultural projects, we found that many of them couldn't read at all. Uh, Or even those who had finished the first or second grade, they still had no literacy to speak of. And so we began trying to get them up to at least a second grade level, and Mauricio was involved heavily with that. Just another shot of someone uh, uh, studying to read. Mauricio also helps. Uh, I know this church has also supported the Gideons, and Mauricio, through his local church, does uh, support through the Gideons in Bible distribution. Okay, There's one, one of the New Testaments that are given out, again, funded through the Gideons, and then the local church distributes, just like it does here. Uh, this is Neri, the man in the upper right-hand corner. He is a Kekchi uh, Indian. These are located, it's a large group located in northern Guatemala. This is an area that it had one of the largest Southern Baptist work in, in the world for a number of years. This, this area here is Southern Baptist. They have over 300 churches in an association, they run their own seminary. They are, uh, you've, you've heard of Southern Baptists pulling out of areas. Uh, moving missionaries out of areas which is true and has happened sometimes I wonder about that however I will say in this particular case uh, this was a developed area they did what they needed to do to get the work started and there are no more missionaries here and they have a very strong work Neri is a Kekchi he works with the youth and we employ him to also go and teach uh, the technologies I talked about here he is uh, looking at some of the hedgerows you can see them they've just come up they're probably a few weeks old and he's talking with a farmer about that. Uh, here he is looking at some of the uh, mature plants uh, that, have, uh, that have come up and uh, are about ready to be cut. Uh, Neri has been very helpful in uh, organizing again bee training and this is a, a shot of a recent uh, training. Uh, about half of these people are pastors. They'll use the production of honey to help improve, again, funding for their own families. And we've just started with some coffee. Coffee is heavily grown in Honduras and Guatemala. Most people don't have access to really getting started. They don't know how to do it, strangely enough, even though it's all around them. Then they have trouble getting seeds and and getting it started. And so these are some some small loans that we set up, and uh, Neri has helped out a lot with that. So Neri is a native Kekchi, and uh, we're really blessed to have uh, him as well. Uh, Just an interesting aside, Many of the Kekchi don't speak even Spanish. Probably about half of them do. Those have been to school. And so we oftentimes have to translate. Even our workers will have it translated into Kekchi. And uh, uh, a year or so ago, my father uh, went down. Remember, those of you who were here, remember, he started this whole thing. Um, and anyway, we ended up in a church, and they wanted him to speak, so he would speak in English, I would do a rough translation into Spanish, and then Neri would translate into Kekchi, and, and we joke that my dad, who's a little bit long-winded, would go, to, you know, da-da-da-da, da 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 by the time it got to me, it was kind of da 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 and by the time it got to Neri, it was kind of da-da, and so uh, we, quickly, we, uh, we narrowed it down pretty quick, okay, go ahead. Uh, this is Alexis. Alexis is another young man. By the way, all these young men are Christians, very active in their, in their, in their churches, uh, either teaching a Sunday school class or working with them. This man works in the area of Olenchito and also comes over into Guatemala and, uh, and, uh, as well. And okay, He has some agriculture training uh, from school and also works. Here's a picture of him, again, teaching them how to use the uh, A-frame. Uh, Here's a group of pastors that are learning bees, uh, also in the uh, Olanchito area. Uh, Here's another training session on the side of a mountain uh, for the the sloping agricultural technology, the hedgerows. And uh, Alexis is also really good with uh, gardens. And this is a garden that uh, he's helped them put in and uh, uh, a local area put in and put in some uh, irrigation and do uh, uh, use the contouring to uh, help with the soil erosion for that. Finally, we have Pastor Victor. Pastor Victor is is, is really, uh, at this point, the, the, the person, uh, the driving force behind what we do. He is a pastor of local church. Uh, they are Baptists, though not Southern Baptists, or affiliated with anyone uh, in the Copan area. And he's the one that started the whole bee craze. And uh, he learned it all on his own and um, he has about 30 or 40 hives of his own, and if he, he he loves. He may love more stuff, but what I know is he loves two things. He loves sharing the gospel, and he loves teaching people how to raise bees uh, to get honey. Uh, here you can see him. Uh, these are, by the way, if you're interested, Africanized bees. Yes, these are the former killer bees, which came out of South America. Uh, they don't really kill that many people, though they've been known to kill a horse or two. Uh, and uh, you have to be somewhat more careful than working with them uh, here he is opening one up and uh, if, 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 the, if the hives look a little rustic to you they are you can't run to Orschlands or go online and order them they make them all themselves everything by hand cut the wood slats everything uh, is done by hand uh, here he is uh, showing them how to uh, harvest the honey using a, uh, an extractor And we have several of these provided that uh, they can rent out and, and take around. Pastor Victor also does quite a bit with training, not only using the Bible storing and sharing the gospel, but he also, because of his expertise, has been able to do additional training with some of our workers, with some of the youth that we have previously worked with, and even local pastors and churches. He's been able to go into an area, so he may go into Guatemala to where the Kekchi are, and during the day, he will do a, a bee, training session, bee training session, and at night, if they're not out looking for bees, because you can't buy bees either, you go find them in the field, uh, if they're not out looking for bees, he'll do a, he'll do a Bible training session for, uh, for a group of pastors, maybe 20 or 30 pastors. So this is, this is a, a, an excellent resource we have through him. Uh, here he is just on the side of a hill uh, after, probably after uh, looking at the bees with a group of farmers uh, sharing the gospel with them. Okay. okay. Um, I'll finish this up then. Uh, one of the areas that we recently started going to is an area in Guatemala very near the, the Honduran border. I mean, uh, Mexico border. In fact, it's just right there. You can step over the line if you want in an area called Tahomulco, it's a volcano, it's an a, a uh, extinct, I guess that's the word, inactive, it's an inactive volcano. Uh, uh, 4,220 meters, uh, which is, uh, what is that, close to 15,000 feet or something. It's up there, there's, there's ice and snow up there. In any event, uh, the first time the group went up there because they'd been asked by some pastors to come do some bee training. Uh, they went up there and, go ahead, and my worker commented on all these lovely fields of flowers and uh, thought that because there are areas in Guatemala that provide flowers uh, that are exported, there are, there are areas that do that. He thought, well, they, they've got quite a thriving uh, flower industry. Turns out these aren't flowers to decorate your table with. Does anybody know what they are? Poppy. Yeah, it's poppy. I'm, I'm Amapolo is what they call it. So, yes, this is poppy flowers, and this is what you use to harvest opium. And in this area, up high, it grows for whatever reason. There's a zone where these people live, uh, and it grows perfectly. They don't really even have to cultivate it per se. It just throw it in the ground, and it'll grow. On the occasion that the police come in and sort of stage a a little uh, demonstration and burn a few fields to show they're doing something, within months it's growing back. I don't even have to do anything, all right? And so uh, this is part of the illegal trade at Mexico. We'll buy all their opium and do the processing in Mexico uh, for illegal sales. So these people have been depending on this, go ahead, for for many, many years. So uh, this is one of the things that that we've started working with them on. And just to give you a, a, a recent example and an example of how you never quite know what you're gonna face, I mean, these people in, in, in this area, in a church, in fact, it was a church that had the Baptist on it that you saw earlier. These people asked, Pastor Victor, he said, we've been doing this for years. It's what, our, it's what we've been doing for many years. It's really the only thing that grows up here. Nothing else will grow. Corn doesn't grow well. We can't hardly do anything. This grows well, but we know it's wrong. We know this isn't what Christians should be doing. What do we do? There is no simple answer to that. There is none. Uh, I've had lots t- discussions with lots of people about lots of things. There isn't a simple. We're trying to come up with some things. Actually, the bees work. Now this is what's interesting. The bees really like these flowers. There's some debate over what the honey from these flowers will actually do to you, and in fact, I think it might be a thriving import business if we can get them to producing honey from poppy flowers. Uh, I don't I, actually I've been told that it's doubtful that the honey would be affected much, but you never know. In any event, uh, this is an area that needs help. These people are trying <laughs> to move away from doing something that they know uh, is, a, is a Christian and don't have any help? And so Pastor Victor and the other people you've mentioned have all gone up there, as I've I've visited a couple of times myself, and seen the area and trying to figure out what we can do, whether it's some uh, vegetables grown in greenhouses or or whatever else, trying to find ways to help them uh, produce an income and move away. So uh, that's basically it, I believe. Maybe one more slide. Okay, just a picture of a, of a family. This is a, a, an example of a family that would be helped. This is a family from Tahomuco area. This is a family from the church who wants to stop producing uh, 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 opium. And so these are the people we try to help. Uh, these are the people that your support help, uh, again, not only physically, but also th- through working with them and through working with churches taking the opportunities that are presented to present the gospel and share Christ with people uh, in this particular part of the world. Thank you very much. I'm supposed to turn this now over to Steve. I felt so bad about Dan not getting an introduction. This is Dan. Dan is one of my favorite people. If you'd like to talk to him afterwards, please stop by and and talk to him, find out what else you might can do to help. What a marvelous, what a marvelous thing he has shared with us. Dan, thank you. Thank you very much.